0: Welcome into the Nick Bob uh, Podcast. It is Sunday, December 8th, and uh, we got a lot to tackle today. I'm going to do a little recap pod, not a Husker football recap pod, RIP to the 2019 Husker football season recap pods. It's the first Sunday that I haven't uh, spent a couple hours with one Bo Robert Rood talking Nebraska football. It feels a little weird. It, it feels a little weird, but we're going to replace a football recap pod with a Creighton-Nebraska basketball recap pod because obviously the I-80 rivalry game is in the books. Uh, It is a blue state for the year. Uh, Creighton absolutely throttled Nebraska, 95-76. Before we get to that, I want to remind everybody to subscribe to the podcast. Just hit that subscribe button. Uh, Yes, it helps me, but it also helps you. It assures you that you will not miss a single episode of the pod. And while you're at it, Leave a rating, leave a review. I really appreciate everyone taking some time out uh, to to listen to the pod, uh, to react with the pod. All the well wishes, all that stuff. Again, I appreciate it. I really, really do. But make sure you subscribe to the pod. Uh, Earlier, I I put up on Twitter and Facebook uh, any questions that people have on what happened in that Creighton and Nebraska game. Uh, You know, whether you're a Blue Jay fan, a Husker fan, certainly a lot to digest. Got some. Uh, questions I got on both Facebook and on Twitter that I will tackle later on in the pod. But man, that was that was quite a butt-kicking. I mean, no other way to 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 call it than that. Creighton wins 95-76, like I said, and this thing was out of hand seemingly right away. It was 40-9 at one point in the first half. Creighton led 48-22 to at halftime. It was a great day for the Blue Jays and obviously was a nightmare day for Nebraska. And, you know, I'll be honest with you guys, all last week, you know, I was bunkered down in my basement watching film, getting ready for this game on the TV side of things. Obviously, I was on the call on FS1 and I'm watching Creighton film and I'm watching Nebraska film and I found myself over and over and over thinking and actually like saying out loud to myself, man, I just, I don't see how this isn't a total blowout. To the point where I'd be like, "Nah, let me let me pop in this this Washington State game one more time. Let me watch the South Dakota State. One more time. I'm just, let me let me watch the San Diego State one more time." And I'd just be like, "Man, I just it felt like in a variety of ways that it, Nebraska was was in trouble, and it was a perfect storm for Nebraska to, to get kind of rocked." Again, we talked about it. Brand new team, roster full of newbies, junior college players, high school kids, low major transfers, and they're still finding themselves. But most importantly, this was A, Nebraska's first true, legit, real road game. And B, Creighton, in my opinion, is by far the best team Nebraska has played. I mean, let's be honest, Nebraska played a lot of Washington State's bad George Mason's okay. South Florida's okay. And then you're t- UC Riverside, Southern Utah, It's not a very good team. Even Georgia Tech, they're okay. So it was a perfect storm of Nebraska was going to play the best team they had played to date on the road in a rivalry sort of emotional st- setting for the first role. I mean, that's just it's a it's a perfect storm. So am I surprised at how this game ended up? Not really. But with all that said, did I expect it to be that lopsided in the first 15, 20 minutes? Not at all. I don't think I expected it to be 40 to 9, you know. But I certainly, I thought if Nebraska wasn't careful, it could get away from them quick. The first thing I asked Fred Hoiberg before the game was his level of concern with how his team would handle the crowd. And Hoiberg gave me that look kind of looked at me and raised his eyebrows and said, very concerned. And I think certainly the crowd played a factor early. Creighton was juiced up. They were ready to go for the jugular right away. And Nebraska was a little shell-shocked. And this just kind of happened in this rivalry a handful of times, where, you know, 2005, Nebraska comes to Lincoln, or comes or Nebraska comes. To Omaha gets popped. Two thousand seven, same thing. Uh, one of the years with Dougie and the boys. I think Dougie's senior year. It was thirty-eight to eight at one point. Uh, you know that like this is this has happened. If 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 you're not ready to rock, it can get away from you quick. And I, I told you guys in the preview pod for this game, handling the emotion of this game is vital. And I thought Creighton channeled the. Emotion perfectly and Nebraska looked a little wide-eyed and frozen in the moment at times. There's a lot to digest and analyze with this one. Um, So I I was thinking about how I wanted to do this. I I want to talk about both sides and what I saw, good and bad, and then I'll kind of answer some of those questions that you left for me on Twitter and Facebook. So let's start with the Blue Jays because they were the dudes that emerged emerged victorious. Uh, They were ready to play and they played well and won the game. Uh, First of all, even though it's a new head coach at Nebraska and Hoiberg and a brand-new team, I think you could tell that Creighton was out for a little revenge from last year's loss in Lincoln. You listen to the, to the post-game press conference from the players in, partic- for, in particular, and you could hear some of that in their answers. And then I think you could even see it in the emotion on the floor. I told you guys that was real. The whole revenge thing, it's real. And it was on Saturday afternoon. So first and foremost, Creighton was emotionally and mentally in the right place. They look locked in, on a mission, ready to play. But there was, with all that said, there was a scenario on Saturday where that game could have gotten a little stressful for Creighton. Kelvin Jones, six foot eleven, Idaho State grad transfer, who's Creighton's tallest player, he hurt his ankle or achilles in the oral roberts game on tuesday and hadn't practiced all week and was a game time decision he tried to go through warm-ups but just couldn't go so he was out so creighton who is already already shorthanded and has a short bench was in potentially a code red situation if christian bishop or damian jefferson or any of the big three guards for that matter got into foul trouble think about it creighton had seven available scholarship players Let me say that again, Creighton had seven available scholarship players, and the tallest one was six foot seven. So even though it ended up being a blowout, and I expected Creighton to win, Creighton's margin for error was smaller than you think heading in because of the injury situation. But with how the game went at the beginning, how how it started, and how Creighton just executed on both ends of the floor at a really high level. That potential factor of depth never became an issue. Now, it get you know, Damian Jefferson or Christian Bishop, excuse me, ultimately fouled out and I think that's why he saw some things kind of slow down in the second half. But it never became an issue when the game was really in 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 doubt or was never in doubt because you know, they just put the foot on the gas and never and, and never had to worry about oh, God, don't have Calvin Jones, don't have never had to worry about that. But I think we got to start The whole conversation with how Creighton defended in the first 15 minutes of that game. Because that was the game. How Creighton defended set the table for everything. So Creighton's plan defensively was to protect the paint, not get extended past the three-point line, and sit in those driving lanes and clog up the middle of the floor. Nebraska's strength as a team is its guard's ability to drive the ball into the paint. And Creighton was dead set on taking that away. Nebraska has been a really inconsistent perimeter shooting team. They've been good some days, not so good some days. And Creighton's plan was to keep Nebraska out of the lane, sit in those driving lanes, force contested jumpers. And they executed it perfectly in the first half. And Nebraska was was out of rhythm, out of sorts. Creighton held Nebraska to 23 percent shooting from the floor, and again, think about it. The score was 18 to two, 27 to four, 37 to seven, 40 to nine. Nebraska had seven points at the 4:49 mark of the first half. Let me repeat that: Creighton held Nebraska in check to the point where the Huskers had seven points with 4.49 left in the first half. So what that means is obviously Creighton's defending great, executing their plan well, and Nebraska's struggling. But the big thing is Creighton, because of how they're defending, is constantly in transition because of all those defensive stops and rebounds. And Creighton is at their best when they can push it after a defensive stop and a rebound. Well, there was an incredible amount of those opportunities for Creighton in the first 15 minutes of the game, which allowed them to flex their their muscles on offense, building that 31-point lead. So in my opinion, it all started with the defensive end for the Blue Jays. I was at practice on Friday for Creighton, and so I saw the installation and and the teaching points of what Creighton wanted with their defensive game plan. And I'm telling you, the Blue Jays executed their game plan really well. And that made offense easy, which then in turn made Nebraska's offensive day hard to get right because they couldn't get out in transition because they couldn't get any stops because Nebraska was constantly in defensive transition situations. I don't know that, I'm sure you're like, you've heard transition. If, if it was a drinking game and you heard transition and you had to take a shot, you'd be hammered by now. But does that make sense? Like Creighton's getting stops. So they're able to rebound, outlet, and run and getting get into transition, which is where they're at their best. So then they're able to convert with regularity. So then Nebraska's having to take the ball out of the net and take it out of bounds, and they're having to go against Nebraska's set half-court defense. And that's a problem. Creighton lived in transition and attacking after missed shots while Nebraska was seemingly always going against Creighton's set half-court defense which had a great plan and was executed well. And Creighton was really good in that first half. I I actually thought Damian Jefferson knocking down two of his first three threes was huge. It set a tone. It got him rolling. It got the crowd rolling. I think it got the rest of the Blue Jays feeling pretty damn good. And it made Creighton that much harder to guard. If there was one spot on paper you had a a non shooter on the floor. It was Jefferson in terms of your perimeter players. Jefferson was one for fifteen from three heading into Saturday's game, and those are the those are like these are the the predicaments that coaches find themselves in. I guarantee you there were some coaches' meetings between Doc Sadler and Fred Hoiberg and Matt Abdomassi and Armon Gates and Bobby Lutz, and they're sitting there going, "Man, okay, so listen, what do we think?" So Jefferson struggled. He's one of fifteen. Let's, let's play off him, dare him to shoot, see if we can plug up the lane and, and help on some other guys. Let's just make him make some shots. And you know what? He did. He knocked him down. Smoked the first three with zero hesitation and then hit his third attempt as well. So he made Nebraska pay, and it got the crowd juiced up, got Creighton in a, in a, in a pretty good rhythm. And I just thought Creighton was pretty damn good in the first half, man. Made eight threes, shot 51% from the floor, had 10 a team assists. the ball movement was crisp. Uh, you know, you could just go down the down the line. The roll guys were, were really good. Uh, you know, we talked about Damian Jefferson knocking down threes. But think about it. Throughout the course of the game, uh, Damian Jefferson also defended well and hung in there having to play at the five spot because you had no Kelvin Jones. And then Christian Bishop got into foul trouble, ultimately fouling out of the game. I did think Bishop, when he was in there, did a lot of good things. Ten points, nine rebounds, had a big lob dunk early, ran the floor and hard and got a dunk that forced Hoiberg to call a timeout. And then I thought Sharif Mitchell from Omaha, who you know that game probably meant a lot to him, played really well for his role. Like he was a star in his role. He came in, was really active defensively. He made three really good plays had a transition and one had a uh, ankle breaker on the on the baseline for a reverse layup and then he made what I thought was the play of the day in my opinion the play of the day was in the second half Sharif Mitchell matched up with Gervais Green he ripped Gervais Gervay Green's pocket took his cookies as the kids say and then shook two defenders shook Green shook Thorburn Yarnison and then pitched it to Mitch Ballack, and Ballack smoked a three. And the crowd's going nuts. It was, it was just, it was a great defense to offense play. And I tell you what, Sharif Mitchell's getting better each day. His offense is still a work in progress. He's still not shooting it great from three, but he he's coming along. And then listen, man, the, the three guards, Alexander Ballack and Zegarowski, they were electric again, man. I mean, those guys are just pff, some three really good players. Alexander finished with 22 points. Balak had 13 points. And Marcus Zagorowski had 30 points, nine rebounds, and six assists. And, you know, n- nobody, nobody likes I told you so guy. You know, n- no one likes that guy. Hey, I told you this. Guy. But I told you guys he was the real deal. I- I've been telling people for a year. He's Creighton's best player. I'm going to tell you, he's the MVP of the team. He's the guy. And how about Jay Billis's tweet on Saturday? It's good to know that the Billis trader was watching FS1, watching Creighton in Nebraska, watching your boy call the game. But Billis tweeted uh, on Saturday, Creighton point guard Marcus Zagorowski had 30 points, nine rebounds, and six assists against Nebraska. He controlled the game and is one of the nation's best guards. Zagorowski is Fred Van Fleet. That's been my player comp for Zegarowski from the moment I watched him play. He's playing at a high level. He was by far the best player on the floor on Saturday. He got anything he wanted against Nebraska. He's had 30 plus points two of the last three games. He is in a great rhythm and flow. I mean, you go listen to my go back and listen to my preview podcast. I told you, I said he's got some Fred Van Fleet in him. I say he's got a little Van Fleet in him. And you know, his again we've you know, his offseason hip surgery has his body feeling better, so his preparation is more thorough, there's more time spent. The last guy to leave the practice floor on Friday was Zegarowski. The guy that's usually the first guy out there, Zegarowski. Like he he's putting in the work. And my main source of optimism for Creighton's season begins and ends with him. He's a great player, and he's starting to show the nation how good he is. So you know, there you go. As far as as far as the Creighton side of things, you know, what I mean, the, really, the game was the first 15 minutes of the game. You know what I mean? Like I mean, that, that went 40 to nine, ass kicking defensively, locked in, was able, to, got them out in transition. They moved the ball, execution was on point. Their execution of the defensive plan was excellent. That made offense easy. Just blasted Nebraska. So that's the that's the uh, the Creighton side of things, the Nebraska side of things. First of all, I, I admire Fred Hoiberg's decision to not start Cam w- With understanding how overmatched they were and the importance of a good start and the fact that Cam Mack is Nebraska's best player, to not be paralyzed by all that and still have standards and, and hold players to that is important. So if you missed it, the reason Cam Mack didn't start was because Cam Mack was one minute late to the team bus. Kudos to Hoiberg for sending a message. I've always thought, in terms of being on time and all that stuff. Listen, your time isn't more important than my time or everyone else's time. So be on time, right? You, I think being on being late is just is like is such a, a BS a hole uh selfish thing it just, i mean to me it just goes to show you you think your time is more important than other people's time i was always taught by my high school coach jeff smith i was always taught that five minutes five minutes early is on time and that stuff matters man especially when you're a head coach in year one you're trying to build a foundation for your program you, you can't have a certain set of rules that only apply to a few or are loose rules. There have to be expectations and standards and rules, and something as small as one minute late is still big. That's all a culture is. All, all a great culture is, is a million small things done exceptionally well. That's culture. So I like Hoiberg and respect that he, he made that decision because... Cam Mack has to understand, what's the saying? Too much is given, much is expected. Listen, man, if you're going to be the man and play 30-plus minutes a game and have the ball in your hands the whole game, then you got to do the little things and meet the coaching staff halfway and take that responsibility seriously. Mack has to learn. Because believe me, the rest of the team is watching and was watching in moments like that because I want to just I want you to really uh, just imagine this picture in your head, okay? Just just really I want you to almost close your eyes and think about it. Game day, Creighton, Nebraska. everyone's on the bus, coaches, players, the trainer. everyone's on the bus. It's silent because people are in game mode. Everyone is waiting on one guy. One minute after the scheduled time of departure, and the guy everyone's waiting for is the guy that's going to have the ball in his hands the whole game, Cam Mack. It's a bad look, right? Listen, I got nothing against Cam Mack. I love watching the kid play. told you guys he's got elite vision. When he pushes the gas, man, he's as fast as any player in the country. I think he's a hell of a player. But it's a bad look, right? And the whole team is watching, and I think it sends a message to not start him. Even the best player in a game against the rival isn't above the rules. So first of all, Bravo to Fred Hoiberg. And listen, I still think if Cam Mack starts, Creighton still blows Nebraska out. But I mean, Mack not being on the floor to start the game was important because Nebraska got down ten nothing immediately. Couldn't score, had no pop. Nebraska just needed to see the ball go through the net for everyone to relax. And what happened the second Cam Mack got subbed into the game? Drove right down the floor, laid it, laid it in. Nebraska had to get off to a good start, and they didn't. And some of it can be traced back to Cam Mack not being on the floor. So, you know, there was a lot going on in that first five, 10 minutes of the game. Nebraska had to hang in there, and they just couldn't. You know, Hoiberg tried to call timeouts. I mean, at one point he called pretty much back-to-back timeouts. Nebraska just kind of was on the ropes and just couldn't get off the ropes. And I told you when when talking about Creighton, Creighton, their plan, they were plugging up the paint and plugging up those driving lanes. And Nebraska needed to do a few things. A, they needed to, to move the ball side to side, get it reversed, then try to attack and punch those driving gaps. It's really hard if, if Creighton's able to get their help set, you, there's not a lot of real estate to drive. But what, what Nebraska needed to do is get a little bit better ball reversals and then penetrate off ball reversals. That didn't happen. They needed to get some teeth in their defense and get a stop to get out and run and find an easy one in the open floor. Couldn't do that. And then C, someone needed to just step up and make a jumper, right? Right? Like we, we can talk all day about what I mean, someone needs to step up and knock down a long-range jump shot. And they, they just couldn't knock one down. I mean, think about it the other day. Nebraska was daring Damian Jefferson to knock down a three, and he knocked down two. Like, Nebraska, Creighton was kind of daring Nebraska to knock down a jumper, and they couldn't knock one down early in the game. So, and I thought, once again, missing shots combined with the crowd, it impacted Nebraska's effort and focus on defense. And for as much as people want to focus on offense, man, ne- Nebraska was not good on the defensive end of the floor either. And, uh, you know, and we'll, I'll, this is going to be kind of the theme. Nebraska, they're just still learning what it takes to fight or the level of fight that is needed at that end of the floor. They got some guys that really fall asleep off the ball, lose their man, Aren't, aren't locked in, and against an offensively skilled team like Creighton, they're going to make you pay. I mean, for instance, uh, Nebraska at times was trying to ice ball screens, which means you're, you're not allowing the offensive player to come middle and use the ball screen. You're trying to force them to the sideline and to the baseline to keep them on the side. And that was their plan at times. But time and time again, Creighton – in particular Zagorowski was able to come off the screen using it coming middle and then the coverages are just all screwed up right because where you've loaded up help and how people are rotating is designed off of an icing the ball screen and and now it's it's totally messed up at this level you got to be locked in talk and do your job all it takes is one guy to not talk or one guy to not know the plan or one one guy to not execute the plan and you're you're in trouble. And and I've been saying this. When when you aren't shooting it well and you hit adversity, especially on the road, that's when you lean on your foundation and your identity and your chemistry. And like I've told you a, a bunch, Nebraska's still building that stuff up. So Nebraska got punched in the mouth right away and just never really punched back. And I'd have to imagine... A lot of the timeout conversations and even the halftime conversation between Hoiberg and and the team centered around fight and effort and focus. I'd have to imagine it was more of that stuff than any sort of tangible X's and O's adjustments. And that's just, that's kind of how it is for this group right now. It's funny, also in my, my pregame chat with Hoiberg, I asked Hoiberg, I said, okay, when, when you guys are good, what is it that leads to that? And when you guys struggle, what leads to that? And his answer was pretty simple. He said, "It. listen, it's all about making shots. When we make shots, we're pretty good. When we don't, we really struggle. And people may be listening to this right now and go, well, duh. But it's way more complex than that. I said this on the pod a few weeks back. Nebraska right now isn't equipped to win when they don't play well. And that goes back to making shots. Because when you don't make shots, what did I just say a little bit ago? That's when you have to have that collective trust and chemistry and foundation to sustain you. And Nebraska doesn't have that right now to the level level where it needs to be. And I think you saw that on Saturday. And, you know, within the shooting, the thing I can't quite sink my teeth into yet is, okay, are these guys just not very good shooters or have they just shot it bad? Because they've actually had games and flashes where they've shot it really well. I mean, they've scored 90 plus a couple of times and knocked down shots. But then the opposite is true at times as well. And the free throw shooting thing is obviously an issue. I've always felt like the free throw line is a really good indicator of how confident you're feeling out there, just how you're kind of feeling in general about yourself. And Nebraska has obviously not been good from the free throw line. And then what's doubly tough about the whole free throw thing is that Nebraska's strength, like I told you as a team, is their guards driving the ball into the paint. That's what they do best. And that's going to lead to a lot of fouls and trips to the free throw line. I mean, Nebraska's free throw rate and getting in the line is really good. So you got to take advantage of that and start knocking down free throws because what you don't want to see happen is guys start to lose their willingness and aggressiveness to drive because they don't want to end up on the free throw line. There's just, there's a lot at play within all this. And yeah, I, I thought Kevin Cross and Ivan Udraugo really didn't play well. I mean, between the two of them, they were one for eight with two points. And, you know, those are the majority of they're, – they're the guys that are setting a majority of the ball screens, and when they aren't converting at all, that takes away compo- a big component of the offense. You know, Haneet he's he's solid. He's play- He's doing what he can do, you know. I mean, he's running the floor hard. He, he's solid. Him and Thor, I thought Thor – I think Thor, Therir, Thor, and has been really solid. I actually think Thor probably needs to play it a little bit more, play a little bit more because he's 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 just a little bit more sound on both ends of the floor when pitted against Gervais Green and Deshaun Burke. But it just, you know, it was one of those things, you know, the whole like what do you you know, either burn the game film or you really gotta you have the guys watch it to learn from it. Because there were a lot of things you can learn from in that one if you're Fred Hoyberg showing your your team. So there you go. I just think Nebraska is a team right now that is still learning what it takes to have success at this level of basketball, not junior college, not, not high school in Arkansas, not over in France, not at Robert Morris, not at, like at this level of basketball. They're, they're the, it, it takes a certain level of, of focus and effort and energy and fight and attention to detail to, to have success. And Hoiberg can preach and preach and preach and talk to the guys all day about those things, but they got to absorb it and go do it. How hard you have to play, how hard you have to cut, how how you execute, how precise your screens have to be. Defensively, the the communication, the talk, the understanding of assignments, fighting through screens, seeing man and ball, not losing sight of either, blocking out, gang rebounding. I just still see a team that is having to learn kind of the hard way with just how real all that stuff is. Because I I think there's probably been a handful of times at practice where Hoiberg or Doc Sadler's, I'm like, no, you got to fight through that screen. And there's probably a lot of, yeah, yeah, okay. In a game, it'll be fine. I mean, well, this is, I mean, not at this level. Not when you're playing Creighton. Not when you're on the road playing Creighton or playing at Georgia Tech. And that was the concern with the makeup of this team to a certain extent. Junior college kids, low major transfers, high school recruits. Think about this. Nebraska was number one, number one in the country in fewest returning points. So that's not, what, that's not good. Heading into this season, Nebraska was number one in the country in fewest returning points. Nebraska returned two points per game, 1.9% of their scoring coming back. So it's an uphill battle. I do see strides. I really do. I think they're better today than they were a month ago. But I just think it was one of those things that kind of ran into a buzzsaw on Saturday. Everyone needs to relax and take a deep breath on this this Husker team and the situation. is going to get it right. He'll continue to have these guys improving, which, you know, in all reality is all you can really ask for this year. All right, some questions via Twitter and Facebook. One of the things w- one of the things that I've got a bunch of was the free throw shooting thing because, you know, Creighton, or excuse me, Nebraska's really not been good from the free throw line. You know, and it's weird. Free throw shooting to me is, so you know, the two coaches I played for in college, Bill Self and Dana Altman, couldn't have been any more different with free throw shooting. Bill Self at Kansas, we never practiced free throws. And when I say never, I mean never. Like, I can't recall one time there was allotted time to, like, hey, all right, guys, go break up and go shoot. Not one time. But Dana Altman, oh, my God. We practiced free throws all the time. Night before game, that's all. we. Night before game, we'd meet. At home games, we'd meet and shoot a million free throws and then walk over there. Like, we worked on free throws all the time. So, first of all, there's no one way to do it. Hoberg has said he's worked on free throw shooting on this team more than any other team, and it's it's hard. It's just such a mental thing. Sometimes I think the more you you talk about it and the more you you discuss it and, and think about it, like the more it becomes a, a, a top of mind and you, and you get tight up on, at the line. So I, there's a fine line, how much you want to work on it, how much you want to talk about it, and how much it's kind of like, hey, man, just step up and make your free throws. Step up and make your free throws. Okay, let's get some of these. Uh, let's get some of these questions. Uh, Nick on Twitter says, uh, "Nick, what do you do as a coach when open shots aren't falling? Felt at times that Hoiberg was getting guys good looks, but the ball just wouldn't bounce their way. Not sure what type of adjustments you make to remedy that. Love the pod. Uh, that's from Nick. Appreciate you, brother. Uh, I mean, I- I've always said uh, the two places to remedy offensive woes." Are in the open floor and at the free throw line. Like when you're struggling, I used to think about that as a player. Like when I being a scorer, like if I couldn't get it going, my thought was always either go get fouled or go go find find an easy one in the open floor. You know, go run the floor hard and and try to find an open three and a driving lane, something. And you know, the hard part on on Saturday was Nebraska wasn't getting enough stops to run. And the way Creighton was defending, it was hard to uh, you know to, to punch gaps and, and get to the free throw line. And the other way I've always felt is the other the other there are two other things to remedy offensive woes in collective as a team is I've always felt like a great way to kind of to get yourself back on track is to throw the ball into the post, like go post someone up. Well, Nebraska doesn't have a guy they can just throw the ball in the post to. And then you know what the last solution is when you're struggling offensively? Have a stud that can go just make a play. Like, just have Doug McDermott. You can just, here, Doug, go make a crazy one-foot fall away. Okay, all right, M- made a shot, feeling good. Or when I was at Kansas, here, let's just throw the ball to Wayne Simeon. Or here, let's just let Nate Funk come off a pin down and knock down a third. And right now, they don't – Nebraska doesn't really have that. Th- they just don't really have that. Uh, Adam wants to know, what percentage uh, – uh, what percentage of the type of win was Creighton being good versus Nebraska being terrible? The Jays played well, sloppy though, uh, but shouldn't buy too much into it because the opponent was was terrible, right? Well, I mean, listen, I, I thought ultimately you're able to kind of see things that are, are encouraging regardless of, you know, whoever's on the floor. And I thought Creighton did a lot of good things. Um, you know, they were really locked in. The execution of the plan was great. Knocking down shots. You still got to make shots. Um you know, I, I think it was you know, Creighton. Nebraska didn't play well, but you know, there's always two to tango there. Like a part of the reason Nebraska didn't play well is because Creighton played so well, and then a part of the reason Nebraska didn't play well is because Creighton was is pretty darn good, and they they played well. Uh, Trevor on Twitter says, uh, Nick, there's talk about Nebraska contending for an NCAA tournament berth as soon as next year, but I don't see anything close to that right now, talent wise. Are the sit out transfers going to be that impactful, or is this two year in the system uh year two year year two in the system going to result in that big of a jump well first of all year two in a system is going to make a big big difference I mean I think uh, I still like I've told you that Nebraska just doesn't have that foundation built right now from what they're trying to do offensively defensively those kinds of things um, so that's going to make a difference, but yes, the three sit-out transfers are are going to make a big, big difference. Delano Banton, the Western Kentucky transfer, Derek Walker from Tennessee, and Shamil Stevenson from Pitt—all guys that have uh, Division One experience. Shamiel Stevenson averaged eight points per game in the ACC as a freshman at Pitt. Uh, you, you know, Derek Walker was. Um, at Tennessee in a winning culture and environment behind Grant Williams and Admiral Schofield, and he's big. And then Delano Banton is a guy that, you you know, talking to the coach, they rave about this kid. You know, he's long, 6'7", 6'8", 6'9", guy with with guard, wing, ball handling skills, really talented player. Those three guys are going to help a ton, and there's no question that another year in the system is going to help a ton. Steve on Twitter says, what kind of offensive sets does Nebraska use? Because I certainly didn't see any. (laughs) So, listen, they – I mean, at some point, I should just fire up the film and show you guys what what Coach Hoiberg does. Um, They run a lot of dribble-weave stuff because, again, the strength of this roster is their wing drivers. So, right now, what what Fred Hoiberg's dialing up a lot of are opportunities for guys to hit a driving gap and – and get into the lane now i think the hard thing about seeing that with x's and o's it's easy to see x's and o's when it results in a backdoor layup or a wide open three like what's maybe harder is when you see something that results in someone being able to drive the ball like that isn't as easily digestible maybe when you're just watching it at first blush at first brush so i i I, but there's a lot of weave action. There's a lot of uh, different ball screens being set at different angles, uh, manipulating the help on the backside. Uh, you know, they run the. There's a little set they like with Cam Mack, where he's he's kind of at, at half court. He passes it to a wing and then runs off him, gets it gets it right back, and then comes off a ball screen. So he's running in essence off of two picks, getting downhill, coming off a ball screen. So they they they. They're running a lot of different things. Again, Fred Hoiberg is one of the elite offensive minds in all of college basketball, but he's just got an interesting roster right now where it's it's challenging with with the inconsistent shooting and the strength of this team being the drivers, so a lot of your X's and O's are just trying punch gaps. But yes, they're running offensive sets. Come on. Uh, Brendan on uh, Twitter says, Nick, do you think there's any chance Marcus leaves after this year? Talking about Marcus Agarowski. uh I, I would doubt it. Um I, I I wouldn't think so. I mean, again, it's I mean it's not even Christmas yet, so we all need to relax. Yes, he's played well up until this point, but you you know, you got to sustain it. I've said, you know, I don't want to heap too much on the kid. I mean, I've compared him to Fred Van Fleet, and we saw what I mean, Van Fleet's in the league. But I mean, I think this guy, like, there's times look, dude, I guess I'll put it this way there have been times this year where I feel like I'm watching a pro when he's out there. Like I'm like, that's a pro what he did against texas tech what he did against Nebraska, i mean guys he made scoring 30 look like he was it was nothing and let me tell you scoring 30 is hard but this cat i mean he i've told you he's one of the few guys that like first of all he's got that he's got that ball on a string he's an excellent ball handler he changes speeds unbelievably well he's got a great feel for how to free himself up he can knock down threes he can get to. He's a good mid-range shooter. He can get all the way to the basket. Uh, I, I like his intangibles. I don't know. I don't think. I don't think he's going to leave. But do I? Do I think he's a pro? I think he's trending towards being a pro to me. Uh, Andy on Twitter says, "Nick, how does Creighton adjust, uh, address the depth issues at the post? Is Kelvin Jones close to being back? And can Denzel Mahoney log any minutes at the five to help out?" You know, I I would think Kelvin Jones will be back for uh, their game on Friday, um, this coming Friday, and then we'll certainly probably be back for Oklahoma and Arizona State. I don't think there's necessarily anything that's that's like concerned like he's out for the year or anything like that. Um, so he'll 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 be back. Uh, certainly, we, we all knew when Jacob Everson went down, their depth and and ability at the five spot was going to be in the front line was going to be challenged greatly. Denzel Mahoney, I, I think could could play the five at times. I, as crazy as it sounds. He's only he's six foot five, but he's got a seven foot wingspan. And if you never, this guy's got some big old shoulders. He's strong, 225. Uh I think you could see a very, very now, I don't know how much they'll be able to use it, but I wouldn't be surprised if you see some lineups out there that are, you know, you got Zegarowski, Tyson Alexander, Mitch Balick. Davion Mintz when he comes back, and Denzel Mahoney. I mean, good luck guarding that five. Now, good luck that five getting a rebound, but talk about a really, really electric team to try to guard. Holy mackerel. But yeah, I mean, I think there's, there's, between Damian Jefferson and Christian Bishop and Denzel Mahoney and Kelvin Jones, it is what it is. Like, outside of Kelvin Jones, he's the only true, legit post. Uh, but Denzel Mahoney is arguably Creighton's most physical player so physicality will certainly be something he brings to the to the equation. Uh, but you knew it; everyone knew it heading, heading in the, the front line issues were going to be problematic for Creighton after Epperson went down. But I think Creighton's going to going to be able to manage things around that. Josh on Twitter says, "Why not give Charlie Easley more of a look? The kid is an excellent shooter. Shooter more so than the guys he, uh, the guys they that see the majority of the minutes." He's also a flat out winner. He brings the presence to the game similar to Johnny Trueblood. And I'd argue that Charlie's a better athlete than Johnny. Uh so one of the things I'm a big I I like Charlie a lot. I think Charlie Easley's a good solid, solid player. Like he's not your uh happy to be here, walk on at the end of the bench, feel good story. Like homeboy can play a little bit. And I think with the news of Samari Curtis, announcing that he is transferring that happened uh, the day before I think on Thursday or Friday before the uh, Creighton game freshman from uh, Ohio has already announced that he's leaving Nebraska the first guy I thought of was Charlie Easley it's like this could mean more minutes for Charlie Easley and here's the thing is like you know I think that there's always that fine line as a coaching staff with, with Coach Hoyberg on like where do you draw the line on holding guys to a standard on the floor with allowing guys to play through mistakes because the one thing Coach Hoiberg wants his guys to be is super confident and not looking over the shoulder. But at the same time, when, when guys are making mental mistakes and mental errors uh, defensively, not, a, not executing, where do you draw the line on that? Now, the hard part is, is, is trying to keep guys being confident but hold them to a standard. Well, I think what you could see now is when guys make mistakes, there might be a shorter leash, and that could mean a guy like Charlie easily gets inserted into the game a little bit more often. But we'll see. Uh, you know, t- listen, Charlie's a good shooter, solid. I think the biggest thing, he, uh, he understands who he is as a player, so he'll understand what situations to avoid and which ones he'll flourish in and then play accordingly. Uh, but we'll see. I, I just think he's a guy to keep an eye on with, uh, with the news of Samari Curtis and his transfer. Uh, Spencer says, Nick, love the pod. What does this game and the manner in which it was won by Creighton change your expectations on the season for either squad? You know, to be honest with you, it doesn't really change anything. I, I, my, whatever I thought of Creighton or Nebraska before one thirty on Saturday, December 7th, as opposed to at 5 o'clock on Saturday, December, it d- d- didn't really alter it. Uh, you know, all of Creighton's strengths are still their strengths. All their weaknesses are still their weaknesses. And same thing for Nebraska. Um the one thing you worry about, I would say, for, for Nebraska is, you know, I, I think the biggest thing that, that Hoiberg is going to have to manage as much as it's the tangible things are the intangible things, you know, like keeping guys confident, keeping them feeling good, keeping them believing. I think you've seen some of that with, uh, with the football team. Like the, one of the biggest battles that, that Frost and those sta- the staff has for him is like getting those guys to believe, and that's a big deal. And so that, that would be the only thing like I would get worried about at times uh, is just you know the collective confidence of the group if they you know getting getting beat in beat down like that's not good, obviously. And, and with Creighton, I, I don't I don't I, I, it just doesn't alter anything for either team. I, I, I feel like that they they're, they still are who we thought they were. Hashtag Denny Green uh, right now. Uh, Billy on Twitter says how well. Uh, will this Creighton team perform in conference play and what NCAA tournament expectations do you have for this team, especially when Denzel and Davion are in the rotation? Yeah, so I would say, uh, you know, I've told, I've, I've, whenever anybody's asked me that question, um, I think if, you know, Creighton's got to get healthy and stay healthy, and if they do, they're going to be an NCAA tournament team. That that's my belief. If Davion Mintz – you know, once he gets back, and if he stays healthy, and once Denzel Mahoney is eligible, which he'll be eligible here in, you know, a couple of weeks, I think they're an NCAA tournament team. Uh, now, what seed? I don't know. I mean, I, I'm I'm not totally sure. I mean, it's still so darn early to to be able to see what what that would look like. But I do think if Creighton gets healthy and stays healthy, they're going to get their name called on Selection Sunday. I, I I really do believe that. But they but they got to get healthy and stay healthy. Mike on Facebook uh, says, Nick, announcer joke about bowling, funny or in bad taste? Now, I didn't hear this in the moment. So, apparently, Jake Ryan, who's been the PA announcer at the at Creighton Home Games for forever, he, he made some joke. There was some bowling thing uh, going on during a timeout on the floor, and he made some jab at Nebraska football. Like uh, Apparently, he said something to the extent of, at least one, somebody in the States going bowling. I, I don't, Someone can maybe tweet at me if that's, I thought that's what I'd gathered on, on social media is that that was the joke. Listen, I mean, I don't, I, it, it, I, I'm not going to get, sometimes I think people, it's like, are you really outraged or do you think you should be outraged over that? I mean, it's like, I don't, I don't The one thing that is unique about it is like you usually don't see PA announcers participate in like trash talk. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Like you you, you rarely see that. Uh, so it's just it's 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 a situation that I'm not sure I've ever really seen before. Uh, I don't. I mean, it's just it's whatever. Like, I mean, whatever. Adam uh, tweets at or at, on Facebook says the Jays have shown once again that when they're in a high scoring, high paced transition game and knocking down perimeter shots, they can play with slash beat just about anyone. What do you see them? What do you see them turning to when the shots aren't falling as? much and the game is a slow a lower scoring grinded out kind of game with less pace. Um that's where I think Denzel Mahoney can really really help. I mean, when the game slows down, it becomes more physical and it becomes more it be, it becomes more important to be able to win isolation one-on-one situations both offensively and defensively. But in this case offensively I think Denzel Mahoney's a guy that Creighton's going to be able to get the ball to in a variety of spots at the three point line, mid post, even on the post, and let him go to work. Again, he was 19th in the country two years ago in free throws made. He seeks out contact. He gets to the line. He gets easy baskets. So I think Denzel Mahoney will greatly impact Creighton's ability to score in slower paced half court games. Uh, you know, and defensively, Listen, Creighton's never going to be, you know, Virginia in the half-court defensively, but I do think they've, they're playing with a higher level of grit and fight and toughness this year, uh, which is good. Like, their, their willingness to dive on the floor after loose balls, and th- th- like, that's good to see. There, there haven't been too many 50-50 balls that Creighton hasn't come up with th- this year. and that That is great to see. So certainly that's always a concern for Creighton, but I think they have some some tangible and intangible things that could help that moving forward. Uh, Dwight says, when is Davion Mintz coming back? My guess would be the Oklahoma game. Uh, you know, on practice, at practice uh, the day before the Nebraska game, he did some stuff five on zero moving around. He's yet to do anything five on five, so he's still, he's still got to hit certain checkpoints, uh, but he's progressing. My guess is the Oklahoma game would be when he would come back, but I have no information on that, and I think that there is no set timetable. I think it's just a matter of when it feels right and when he's ready to rock. Uh, Cap on Facebook says uh, does doc need to adjust his defensive system he is willing to let teams shoot threes and just try to clog the lane up from watching all but one game i feel like we are giving up way too many open threes so i think i, I think nobody wants to just give up threes they want to give up contested threes there's a difference there's a difference between giving up wide open threes and contested threes the other day against Creighton, Nebraska gave up too many open threes, wide open threes. So I don't think Doc needs to adjust that element of his game plan. I think it needs to be executed better. I think guys need to communicate better, have more urgency. And, again, I talk about like not falling asleep off the ball and ball watching. Uh, now, it, it'll be interesting. Listen, if there's anybody – Doc knows defense. Doc, like He knows defense now. But it's just—it's hard to get those guys. You know, it's—it's it's a work in progress to figure out what what those guys can handle, what they can do, what they can't do. I've always wondered when if you're struggling to guard, how much you maybe want to throw a zone out there. But the problem is, if you know, sometimes playing zone and wanting to play fast offensively are at a, at odds. It's it's hard to sit in a zone and be a team that wants to increase the pace of the game because a zone has a way of slowing the game down. Because oftentimes, when you're playing zone, you're forcing the offense to run longer possessions. That means then there's just going to be a fewer amount of possessions throughout the game. But listen, stops are stops, and you got to get them by any means necessary. And if that means you got to switch things up and go zone, that, that could be. But at this point, listen, Doc knows what he's doing. I don't think he needs to adjust anything that he's doing defensively. It's just got to get executed better, you know, period. Point blank, period. All right, we'll 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 leave it there. Really appreciate all the, the interactions on Facebook, on Twitter, man. Re- really, really do. So there you go. I mean, uh, the I-80 rivalry in the books. You know, I said this on the air. I really think Nebraska needed to be absorbing the final stages of that game. You know, remembering how it felt, remembering – uh the being embarrassed all that stuff because that's the stuff you file away for next year so hopefully Nebraska was kind of in uh absorb memory sponge mode because that's important for next year's uh rivalry moving forward uh that'll do it for the pod again what am I going to tell you to do say it with me now people subscribe to the pod give it a rating give it a review it helps me out, and uh, I can't tell you uh, how much I appreciate everybody supporting the podcast. Okay, until next time, uh, we'll, well, you know, I'm, I gotta figure out what we're gonna do. We, we certainly want to talk a little football. We got to talk some hoops as well. Trying to track down some guests, that I'm gonna get. I uh, got a bunch of stuff cooking up for the pod, man. I might just have, might have to have Bo Rude just come over and we can just chat because I miss talking to him, man. I'm going through Bo Rude withdrawals. First weekend without him, I'm, I'm shaking in the corner and crying. It's not good. It's not good at all. All right. Again, subscribe to the pod. And until next time, peace. A Parkville Media Production.